Hey, thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Everybody good? That's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, let's give it up for our team here. And if you didn't know the guy that was leading us in worship, he's actually one of our worship leaders. He's actually our worship leader from down our South Augusta campus at Sherwood. So it's great to be uh, just here with Greg and all the team that's, that's out here. So a good day so far. And we have a lot of exciting stuff. I think I heard like today we're baptizing over 20 people or something like that with all the services. So it's going to be a great day. But I also want to... Like we're involved in this series called Assembly Required, and it's a really good series because it's talking about the components of the church. And a couple of weeks ago, I talked about, about greatness. What, what, what's great look like? If you're an athlete, what is great look? You get one hit every three times, or if you're you know, a quarterback that you have a, a passing percentage of 60%, what does great look like? If you're a business person, what does great look like? If you're a mom or a dad or a spouse, what does greatness look like? And so what we've looked at is this concept of what does a great church look like? And we went back a couple thousand years to the book of Acts, Acts chapter two, and that's kind of where we're gonna land today. And so far, what we've talked about over the, the last several weeks are things like the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. We looked at Acts chapter two. We started in verse 42. If you wanna look at the side screens, it's on the side screens. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer a deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many uh, miraculous signs. So the apostles' teaching was simply this, what Jesus had been teaching those original disciples. You know, they didn't have the books yet. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They didn't have any of the New Testament. They had some of the Old Testament. So it was whatever Jesus was teaching them at the time while they were sitting at his feet learning, they would actually share in their churches or their, their services or whatever it looked like. We, we, we realized that they had fellowship. And, and, and they got together with people. And we had a great opportunity uh, in our J group Tuesday night. We were sitting around a campfire. We were a, a big fire pit. And one of our people in our group like, do you think that this is what it was like being part of the original church? And we all agree, like, this is it. Like, we were praying for one another. We were hanging out. We were eating because that's what we like to do with Journey, right? We... That's a key component of J group, y'all. And so if you're not in one and you're skinny, get in one right? The breaking of bread and the prayer. And I, I said this two weeks ago, and I really, I mean this with everything that's in me. I don't want to be a church. We have a 930. If you're new to journey, maybe you're here for baptism. So we have this thing we call the 930. It's when we pray. It's the month of September, which is the ninth month, and there's 30 days. But you know what? I don't want to be a church that only prays at the 930. I don't want to be a church that only prays like in September. I want to be a church that talks about and celebrates the wins of our prayer time um, every, every month out of the year. And so that, that, that's kind of what we've been talking about. And there's one essential that I, I intentionally left out, and actually I was going to skip over, because it's a topic in our church, or it's a topic in church, that lots of people start to cringe. So what I want to do is I want to put everybody at ease, okay? Today we're going to be talking about another element of what they did in the original church, and that element is giving. They practiced generosity in their church. Promise, we're not having a special offering at the end of service to guilt everybody into giving today, okay? Are you all right? We're not bringing a thermometer out and saying, this is where we're at, at our church budget, and we need to be up here because the truth of the matter is, we don't worry about this kind of stuff because we feel like when we do the things that God tells us to do, he takes care of all, that's a biblical principle. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other stuff, all the other stuff is being taken care of. 
And so today we're going to talk about this concept of generosity. It comes directly from the passage we just read, but in verse 44, this is what it says. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. So you you get a sense already that there was just extreme generosity. They sold their property and their possessions, shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day, met in people's homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy. And what's that word? Generosity. And they did it with great joy, by the way. Can I add that? They did it with great joy. They weren't, they weren't guilted into giving. They weren't guilting. They, they did it because of what God was doing in their lives. And all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, and each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna put a baseline out. I've been around church for 30 years. This is one of the most generous churches I have ever heard of. Whenever there's a need, whenever there's something comes up, somehow or another, we as a church body, we raise the, you know, rise to that occasion and that needs being taken care of, whether it's a church down in South Augusta or it's doing Second Saturday here, whatever it is. And I got some numbers. I'm not gonna give a lot of numbers, but... I got some numbers this past week. This year, this year in 2022, 12% of our budget has gone to outreach and missions, to reaching people that are far from God. That is unheard of. Five years ago, what we thought we, we, we would do is we would try to get to, to eight or 10% in five years. But in just three years, we're at 12%. You know what we're budgeting the next year for? Outreach, for missions and outreach. 14% is what's on the budget. Like, I am blown away. That's gonna reach lost people for Christ. So for me to talk to you is not guilting you into giving more because you're already doing that. What it is to go, keep it up. And this is the reasons why. Because lost people to matter to God, and if they matter to God, they should matter to us. Somebody say amen to that. So here's the deal. Other than salvation, generosity is one of the most important themes in the Bible. Now, I'm gonna give you a little basic. Jesus talked about it more than the subject of hell, more than the subject of heaven, and more than the subject of prayer. Wow, must be important, huh? If Jesus talked about it. One out of every six verses in the, in the Gospels, the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One out of every six of those verses talks about giving or generosity. Half of the parables, so every time Jesus told a story, half of those were about giving and generosity. The word believe, here, here, you ready for this? The word believe, how many people would say believe is important to our faith? Raise your hand if you feel like that's a 272 times depending on the version, 272 times. How many people would say the word pray is important? Pray, like we're gonna pray, 371 times. How many people would say love? Love, right? I mean, I read a verse at a wedding yesterday. It's 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. And just that verse, it's like 4,000 times. I mean, 700, whole Bible, or the whole New Testament, 714 times. The word give, though, is used 2,162 times, depending on the version. Here's what I believe. If we understand the biblical version of generosity and giving, we understand the essence of Christianity. For God so loved the world that he what? Say it with me again. For he what? He gave. So the essence of Christianity is giving. I want everybody to understand. So I'm gonna let everybody ease. Okay, we're gonna be good today. Giving is so much more than just money. Giving is our time, our talent, and our treasures. It's, 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 it's breaking time out of our schedule to do the things that God wants us to do. And I, and, and I believe what's happening in our culture more than ever, our schedules are driving the train of everything else we do. And if we're not intentional about what we're doing for God in those moments, whether it's you know an hour a week or two hours a week, we will absolutely walk past that. Our talents, every person in this room 
has a thumbprint, right? A real thumbprint. Every person in this room has a gift that God's given them. We did a series back in the fall called Design By. And I would encourage you, if you weren't here for that, go there. We talked specifically about you are God's workmanship. You were created to do great works in Christ. He has already assigned a task with your name on it. And if you don't activate that task or get involved in that task, somebody else will do it or it may not get done. So it's important. Luke chapter 6, 38, it says this, give and you will receive. Your, your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for what? More, more gift running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Now, here's the other part of that. I said, it's not just time, it's time, talents, and treasures. It's also not a quick, get, it's not a get quick rich scheme. It's not something I was watching TV. Anybody ever watch? I'm going to get myself in trouble. Um, just send it to um, your garbage bin. Anybody ever watch one of those televangelist guys? I watched one the other day, and he sold like 10 different pro products. Special oil, special rocks, special this, special that, special this was given, this was dipped in, this was all that kind of stuff. And at the end of it, he said, like, if you now give me, God will pour out blessings. That's not why we do it. I never, we should never do anything because we get anything back. We should do because he's already given to us what he's given to us. And that's eternal life. Amen? All right, so this is what we're going to talk about today. So why should we follow God's standard for practicing generosity? Here's the first thing. Practicing generosity teaches me to put God first above everything else. Anybody ever have a problem putting God first? Nobody, just me. How about lying? Anybody have a problem with lying in the church? No, we all do. We have a problem with putting God first. The purpose of giving, it teaches me to always put God first. God doesn't, can I just say, God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need our time. God doesn't need our talents. God owns it all. He's the creator and sustainer of all. He doesn't need our contribution. He doesn't need our tip. Giving is there to remind me who God is, how he's impacted my giving, how he's impacted my talent, how he's impacted my time, how he's impacted everything in my life. Deuteronomy 14 says it like this. You must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all your crops. You harvest each year. Bring this tithe. I'm going to explain in a minute what tithe means, but it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a word, a religious word that just means 10% or 10. To the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses his name to be honored and eat there in his presence. This applies to your tithe of grain, new wine, olive oil, your firstborn males of your flocks and your herds. Do this. And doing this will teach you to always fear the Lord. Now, here's the deal. That word fear doesn't mean like cower away. It means reverence. It means, it means we understand who he is and who we aren't. See, here's, this is a struggle I have. There's always a tension who's number one in my life. I always have a tension. Am I going to allow God to be number one in my life or am I going to be number one? Nobody else has that tension beside me. Like, there's times, like, I don't want to come to church on Sunday mornings. Is it okay for the preacher to say that? There's some Sunday mornings, like yesterday was opening day of deer season. And I had a wedding yesterday afternoon. And so I only got to go half the day. You know where I wanted to be this morning? When it was cool and crisp and I pull in here and there's a deer in the driveway tempting me. <laughs> I want to be in a deer. But you know what? God's number one and not me. How about when there's times where like it's, you know, the situation of money, when you, when you hear of a gift 
uh, that, that, that we need to give to take care of a family, maybe a family in need, or maybe it's angel tree. And, and we sacrifice. There's a, there's a tension of who's number one. And I'm telling you, what giving does, it, it eliminates that tension in my life. It's one of those deals where I give, and we're going to talk about how to give in a minute. It tells, it tells God, it tells me who's in charge, the creator or the created, who's in charge of my life. When, you go, when we give, time, talent, charge, when we give, we're saying, God, you're number one. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 says this, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Um, want to do an exercise? Do it t- today when you get home. Look in your checkbook or look at your ledger of your, of your online checking, and you'll notice a trend. Whatever is important, that's what you pay for. If it's cars, guess what? That's what you're going to buy. You're going to buy a lot of cars. If it's houses, and these are all good things. These are not bad things. You need cars, right? You need houses. You, you need boats, <laughs> right? Recreation is important. You need, a, you, need, you need to, you know, recharge your batteries however you read. You know, some of us need pow-pows. Like, you know what I mean? But it, it, here's the deal. If God is not in, in that, there's a struggle, isn't there? If God, if, if, you look, if you look and go, man, I'm giving more to my guns or my, my cars or my hobbies or my house than I am, there, there's a problem with that. We're saying that we're number one and all of our stuff is number one. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Practicing generosity prevents greed. Now, we don't like that word. As a matter of fact, I tried to use three other words and it just didn't fit. I tried to use selfishness and it didn't seem strong enough. I wanted to use materialism and that seemed weak. We have a struggle in this world with greed. Naturally, can I, can I tell you? Naturally, I'm selfish. Naturally, I want everything for me. Naturally, naturally, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm the one being taken care of, but that's just not the way it is in life. And when we give, it breaks that down. The people that I know, think about this for a second. If you know somebody that's generous with their time, talents, and treasures, the, the people I know, you can't use the word selfish with them. You can't use the word greed with them. You can't, you can't use, they're not materialistic. They may have nice stuff, but they're not they're not material. That's not what they live for. It's interesting because it's not always, this is what I've learned. It's not always about the possessions, the, the, the how much they're worth. It's, it's, it's just the mere possession. So there's a guy by the name of John Michael Talbot, and he's a general minister of the Hermitage. If you don't know what the Hermitage is, it's a, um, he's a monk. And, and, he, and he's over this whole movement of monks and, and, and priests and nuns and all this other stuff. And he said, when, when they go in, they have to give up. They, they take a vow of poverty. So they have to give up everything. He said, but now we're not fighting over thousands of dollars. You know what we're fighting over now? Whose coffee cup that is. So the other day, I'm walking around the office. I have two special coffee cups. Two of them. If another staff member gets them, I will seek them out. One says a journey one. The other one says, and don't be offended by this, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. How many people need that coffee cup? Okay, just, just. Both of them were missing. And I'm sitting, yes. And I'm sitting in our little snack area where we have our coffee, and I, with a very soft voice, yell out. I will throat punch whoever has my coffee cup. It was that moment right there I realized that I was possessive over a coffee cup. There's 25 other coffee cups in the cabinet, but that was 
my coffee cup. It has my lip stains on it. Okay, you're going to laugh at it. But what's yours? Everybody in this room has one. Everybody watching online, you have one. Everybody in the, out in the atrium, you have one. If you're at Sherwood right now, you're going, yep, I, and it popped in your mind. What are you selfish over? What is it? Some people, it's money. Some people, it's time. Some people, it's trade. Whatever it is, what's it look like for you? And I love the way it says it in 1 Timothy because he says this. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17, how we should handle this, this, this battle. Teach those who are rich in this world. And some of you just say, well, I'm not rich. I don't have to worry about this passage. Hold on a second. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Somebody say amen to that. Like, I'm watching our economy do this right here, and I'm going, oh, my gosh, Jesus, just come back, please. And then it says this, their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Did you read that with me? Read that again. He gives us all we need for our enjoyment. He doesn't want us to be misers. He doesn't want us not to have anything. He wants it, but he wants us to put everything in the proper position in place. Then he says this in verse 18, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those who are in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. How many people are tired of the fake life? I want to experience true life. And it comes from doing this stuff right here. Now, here's the deal. The part that probably got a lot of people and said, well, I'm not rich. I don't have to worry about this. How many people have more than one set of clothes? Raise your hand. Come on now. I see you every Sunday in a different shirt. I have more shoes. I know. Right? Somebody said just don't go there, right? Don't go there. If you have more than one set of clothes, you're considered by the world standard filthy rich. Listen to this. Compassion International reported 689 million people in the world live on less than $1.90 a day. We're wealthy. We're rich. We're blessed. Favor the Lord. And I'll never make excuses for God blessing. Amen? The favor of the Lord has been on our family. The favor of the Lord has been on this church. I believe it's because he knows that what much is given, much is required. We've been faithful with little things. We've done great things with little things. I think all of that. But you know who shows the proper attitude in Scripture? The story of the widow. This is what happens in Mark chapter 12, 41. It says, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds drive by their money. I find that fascinating that Jesus sat there going, not enough. He didn't do that. Wouldn't it be funny if it said in there and he said, you got to put some more in. So Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched the crowds drop their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciple to him and said, I tell you the truth, the poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions for they gave a tiny part of the surplus, but, but she, she has given everything she had that she was living in. She sacrificed. That's extravagant generosity right there. That's what God expects from us. Anybody ever been on the river, Savannah River? Ever kayaked or anything like that? A few years ago, I took my boat up to the bottom of the river. And I don't know how many people remember, we had that real bad flood period of time where they, they shut the dam down for a while. And then all of a sudden, they opened it up. When they opened it up, they told you couldn't go on the river at all. They closed all the, it was up, it was 
I remember sitting there. I was sitting in my boat and I was looking at, and if you've ever been at the bottom of the dam, the Clarksville Dam, it's one of the most enormous things that I've ever seen. It's, it's overwhelming. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, I was thinking, because I have issues. I was thinking, if that thing breaks, I'm done. I'm done. Like, I, I can surf my boat down to Savannah. I don't know how it's going to play out. But and, and I left, and, and I remember two days later, they opened up the floodgates. And I was sitting there, I was, I was reading, and we actually, we took some of the family up there to watch it. It was just really cool to say, I've never seen that much water come out of the dam. But, but it made me think about this. In my life, I have an opportunity to be a dam or a flowing, raging river. And unfortunately, most people I know have decided they're just going to be a dam. They're just going to store up, store up, store up when God tells us that if we, if we do it his way, that our lives will be a flowing, raging river. Here's the concept. God gives to me. Somebody say amen to that. As a matter of fact, if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, he tells us that we're a manager. We're not in charge of this. How many people have ever heard, I'm a self-made man, I'm a self-made? No, you're not. You have what you have because God gave it to you. You have the ability to do what you do because God gave you that ability. Right? If you're whatever you are, that's, a, that's, that's something that God gave you. And so God gives to me. That's the first part of the concept. God first gave to me. God first gave me love. God first gave me talents. God gave me time. God, God gave me all that. But because he gave to me, there's a requirement I have to give back to him. And when I give back to him, I open up the floodgates of heaven and allow him to work. See, that's the next part. Practicing generosity strengthens my faith. Malachi says it like this, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food uh, in the temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out blessings so great, you won't have enough room to take it in. Now I wanna stop there. I love that promise. How many people love that promise? Here's the problem. The next line, many of us don't take advantage of it because it says this. Try it. Try it. Put me to the test. And see, I believe what happens when we're generous with our time, talents, and treasures, we put God to the test. And we know he's going to be faithful. He's faithful all the time. He says, put me to the test. So the tithe refers to 10%. 10% of our salary, our benefits, our bonus, our time is given to the storehouse. The storehouse in the Hebrew means the church. It means this place right here. Bring the whole tithe in the storehouse. God says, try me, take advantage of it. So Malachi says this, you can bring a small little one or you can bring a big one. Small one or a big one? Which one, you, you, you know, we're going to bring? Remember, this isn't money. We're talking about time town. So we're going to bring a small one or a big one. Coffee-sized cup or a big old bulldozer? You know, coffee-sized little teacup? Or we're going to bring, you know, an 18-wheeler? That, what are we going to bring? What are we going to allow God to do? And some of us might be, you know, super, this is what I've realized. Some of us in this world are super generous with our money, but we're not generous with our time. Lots of heads shaking right there. Some of us are super like, well, I don't have a problem with that, God's, but I have a problem with my time. I'd rather do X, Y, or Z. In fact, we may even think, some people may even think that money cancels out the need for you to serve and give. Oh, did he say that? That because I gave a little bit, I tipped God a little bit, I don't have to do anything else, and that's not the truth either. How do we follow God's standard? Can, can I just real quick give you, I've got like six minutes left, and then we're going to baptize 400 people here in a minute. How do, I, how do I follow God's standard of giving? First thing is this, give willingly. Give willingly. If you're a guest here today, I don't know if you noticed that we don't pass a plate. We don't put the guilt bag in front of you. Right? You watch somebody else put something in, you feel like you've got to find something to put in, we don't do that. 
As a matter of fact, if you are new to Journey, this is what I would recommend. Get to know us first. Get, get to trust us first. This past week, I wrote two letters for two people that gave um, money for the very first time. And it wasn't the amount, because one was $20. And this is what I wrote. Thank you for trusting us with your money. Because it's a big deal, right? And so give, give willingly. Give cheerfully. I, I love what 2 Corinthians says. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or respond to pressure for God's loves a person who is a cheerful giver. Actually, the word right there is being used is the word hilarious. So this is what we're gonna do next time we have an offering. We're gonna all do it like, we're gonna dance. No? Okay, dance. No, no dancing. Give regularly. So here's the third, give regularly. Uh, it says in 1 Corinthians, on the first day of each week, you should put aside a portion of money that you have earned. Don't wait and I, um, uh, until I get there. Then uh, try to collect it all at once. Just regularly, first of the month, whatever it is for you guys. And here's the other one. Give, give generously. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. I love that because a farmer never goes into it. Gina's grandfather was a farmer. All her family was a farmer. I worked on a farm. You didn't plant one acre and expect to get 100 acres. And truthfully, you didn't plant 100 acres thinking that you were only going to get one acre. In our lives, we want to plant proportionate to what we want to get back, whatever we feel like God is doing. All right, so here's the last one, okay? Practicing generosity, invest my life in eternity. We didn't plan this all out today, but you get to see that right here today. Every person that's getting baptized, you have provided. If you're generous, if you give to our church here, you had the opportunity to invest in their life and didn't even know it. You were part of their lives and they may never meet you, but because of, of whatever, because we have a baptismal, we have past, whatever it is, you were able to be a part of that. I love the way 1 Timothy 6, 18 says, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Anybody ever sit underneath a tree? Just sit underneath a tree and chill out, hot day. So a couple years ago, I was down in, uh, just outside of Rens, Georgia. And it's an old plantation. And I know some of those plantations were bad places. I just happened to be leasing this place and I was turkey hunting and it got super duper hot. And I decided to sit down underneath the tree. And that shade, I mean, it was probably 30, you've been around here, it's hot. Like, Georgia's hot, right? Like, if hell's much hotter, that's another reason I don't want to go there, right? But it's hot. And so, under the tree, it had to be 25 or 30 degrees cooler. So I'm sitting there, and I'm sitting under the shade tree, a big old oak tree. And right across the way, you know what I saw? There was a, there was a homestead, and there was a cemetery right there. Old cemetery, 1800 plaques of people. I mean, I was like, it's, it's the Beasley's uh, track. And I was like, oh my, I can't believe this. And then you know what happened? All of a sudden it hit me. Somebody planted that oak tree. Somebody, I don't know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, they had no clue that I was going to use the shade. They had no clue I was going to sit there one day, but that oak tree was planted by somebody else. And I was, I was getting the benefit of the shade of that oak tree that somebody years and years and years ago planted. See, that's what it means to invest in the kingdom. You may not even see it. It may be your kids' kids' kids. If the Lord tarries, it may be somebody else. You, 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 you'll, you'll never know them. But they're going to sit underneath the shade tree of something that you did because of your generosity. 
And today, like I was saying, the, the people that are being baptized, a lot of, they're, they're being baptized because of what we've done as far as generosity in this church. And so you know what we get to do today? We get to celebrate. We get to celebrate as a church all the things that God has done. So this is what we're gonna do. We're all gonna stand up together. We believe that, we believe that, that baptism is an act of worship. And, and we take it, it's a big deal. And what's gonna happen is, I think, honestly, I think there's eight or nine people that are gonna be baptized today. Some of these are my friends. Some of these are people that I've watched kind of just grow up. Some of these people are made, just made decisions in the last couple of weeks. But we're gonna celebrate together as an act of worship. And when they go into the water and they come out, we're gonna go crazy in this place, aren't we? Because that's what we do, because we're celebrating as a family now. Now, I'm gonna say this, and I, 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 I always give this disclaimer. Maybe today there's something, you know, maybe God's been tugging on your heart. Maybe the greatest gift that you can give today is giving your life to Christ. Or maybe you've already given your life, but you haven't acted out in obedience. And God's saying, you know something? I want you to act out in obedience today. I want you to be obedient to the next step. And if that may be baptism, even if you didn't come prepared for baptism today, and you just say, you know something today? I can't, I can't handle it no more. I need to do that. I would encourage you as people are lining up, just come up, come up behind them. And we would be honored. And we have, we have clothes. We have all the stuff. You, you don't have to go to the, the Mexican restaurant afterwards wet, okay? We will take care of you, I promise you. But this is a big deal. Amen? Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or want to talk to someone about taking your next step, email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.